everyone, and welcome to the Takeoffs Podcast. We have another great behavior health interview for you today, uh, where I speak to Jack Swain, head of clinical operations for MindBloom. MindBloom's mission is to transform lives to transform the world, and it does so by helping people reach their full potential through science-backed, clinical-prescribed ketamine therapy for anxiety and depression. MindBloom's fully guided virtual treatment makes it an affordable, accessible, and convenient solution for millions in the U.S. who seek continued growth in all areas of their lives. Prior to MindBloom, Jack led strategy and operations projects for the nation's largest health systems as a manager at the Chartist Group. He formerly worked in technology consulting at Accenture and received his MBA from Dartmouth's Tuck School of Business. As MindBloom's first employee and lifelong friend of the CEO, Dylan Benyon, Jack works side-by-side with their medical director to develop clinical protocols, launch in-person and telemedicine care models, and build an exceptional team of psychedelic medicine providers. I'm thrilled to release this interview, as it is one of my personal favorites. Not only is MindBloom's mission one to admire, but also their culture follows that mission in a way that makes them destined for long-term success. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy. Hey, Jack, how's it going? Uh, so happy to have you on the Takeoffs podcast today. How are you doing today? How's everything in DC? I'm great. Yeah, thanks. Where are you, where are you looking? I'm, uh, I'm in New York, where you have an office, right? Or or at least headquarters. We, we did. did. We did We did pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, we, we actually, uh, look, we have a headquarters on paper, but we've been a fully remote company from day one, so we have no office space. Yeah. Yeah, um, but we did have... Uh, treatment center in Manhattan before COVID, yeah. but then transferred to fully telemedicine. So COVID. I was, I was in, in New York then, moved to DC. I, I miss New York a lot. Um, fortunately, I'm close by. Yeah, not too far away. COVID also just did things like that, didn't it? Um, <laughs> lots of in-person things closed down. Um, but yeah, our audience got a um, quick background on you and uh, mind bloom in the intro, but I would love to hear a little bit more about your role as um, head of clinical operations uh, there at MindBloom and um, what you do. Yeah, sure. So it's evolved a bit over the last two years. I was our first employee back in June of 2019. So had the great pleasure of working with our medical director at the time, Dr. Casey Palios, who has this incredible resume in psychedelic medicine. Um, and so worked with him to put together our initial protocols, launch our initial treatment center in Manhattan, um, transition to a telemedicine model when COVID hit. Um, and since then we've, we've grown our clinical team, which I oversee in close connection with our medical director to 18, um, launched our guide program. So our guides help facilitate treatment experiences for our clients um, that we've grown to 30 plus over the last, over the last quarter. Um, I've done work in like really exciting areas like regulatory and compliance as we've you know, built out our corporate structure to be telemedicine compliant across the country. Um, but I'm, but I'm sure we'll skip focus on that for the rest of the interview and go into more exciting areas of the company. Yeah. I mean, I, what a, what a great opportunity to have Casey. So, so early on and yourself early on being the first employee, when, when did uh, 
Casey come onto the team. We actually started this. Yeah, we started the same day. Wow. Yeah. By design. Uh, yeah. Great. Yeah. I mean the the idea of having such a clinical focus so early on, I think, is essential in all companies in the space, and I'm I'm glad you've taken that that approach. That was our our CEO Dylan, who's an amazing dude and a lifelong friend. His the first two hires on his roadmap were our medical director, of course, um, and a head of clinical operations to really ensure that we had a really strong clinical culture and clinical backbone for the organization, um, and then have you know grown from there. Yeah, and speaking about that um, clinical design, uh, a typical therapy session at Mindbloom, I would love to hear about uh, what it looks like. I know it used to be somewhat in person now because of COVID. Um, it no longer is. Yeah, for sure. So we provide six session programs for treating anxiety and depression um, and also addressing other personal challenges you might be facing like you know, a breakup or self-love um, or anything like that. So a typical, so a mind bloom, the path for a mind bloom client when we launched and had our in-person treatment center was everyone would start by coming into our treatment center to have their first to ketamine therapy sessions in person. And so Mindbloom is a psychedelic medicine company, but right now we're using ketamine because it's a legally available psychedelic for mental health care professionals. And so after we launched in uh, September of 2019, and so, and it was a combination of initially in person and then also the telemedicine component on the tail end of, of someone's program. And then when COVID hit, we transitioned to a fully virtual treatment model and we tried to replicate the in-person experience as closely as possible. And for, for anyone who's familiar with psychedelics, like set and setting are crucial to the therapeutic benefit that you get from treatment. So, you know, how do you take something and turn it from like a single experience into a therapeutic practice? Um, and so what we do is so anyone who signs up for a program gets a bloom box delivered to them. So that includes an eye mask, a journal, a blood pressure cuff, so they can take their vitals before and after treatment. And then they'll spend about 30 minutes on Zoom before and after their session with their guide. And so that's really helping think through intentions, focus on preparation, and then also start to integrate the experience after. Um, and so the guide is available to the client by text um, or video throughout their program. We also offer like group integration circles for people who you know, are interested in using those practices to deepen their therapeutic experience. And then our psychiatric clinicians, so all you know, master's degree psychiatric professionals will meet the client prior to their first session to confirm that they have a diagnosis of anxiety or depression and are a clinical fit for treatment. And then they check in during their program as well to um, you know, make sure they're having a safe and positive experience and that they have the right medication dose for their program. Yeah, so there's sort of two um, sides or like guides in, in that way, like the psychiatric side and, and the actual guide. The guide's probably more closer to the client, um, whereas the psychiatric um, professional is sort of overseeing the process as a whole. Would, would you say that's right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And our guides are coaches. So the, whereas like other models of ketamine therapy right now, like there's ketamine assisted psychotherapy, where you'll be with a 
a psychologist yeah. or a psychiatrist. So you have your prescriber and then someone who's like doing therapy with you throughout the program. And then there's also like the in-person ketamine model where you go into a clinic. It's often, you know, kind of like a sterile medical experience, mm-hmm. um, but some do it really well. And you're getting ketamine delivered through IV yeah. um, in person. And so both of those typically cost anywhere from like 600 to a thousand bucks a session um, at mind bloom our programs are anywhere from 120 to um to 190 yeah it's session. amazing how you've gotten the price down over the years too i think the last time i yeah. checked it was like over a thousand dollars so it's, in, it's incredibly yeah. impressive i mean yeah just expanding access to all yeah so now it's, it's cheaper than most therapy sessions and so granted you know 180 30 bucks a session isn't affordable for everyone. So we got a long way to go, but making it just so much more accessible, approachable, available through our telemedicine model and by bringing the price down, you know, 80% relative to other treatment options. Yeah. And we'll get into like how you've made that possible in a bit, but I'm curious, um, like the audio aspect of it, obviously a super important um, part of like the psychedelic experience. Um, Do you provide any sort of audio guidance or is that sort of up to the client? Yeah, we do. And so hopefully the the mind bloom overview that you used at the beginning will include a bit on how we, so we combine content, medication yeah. and like human support throughout the program. So every client has a portal. Mm-hmm. So when they create an account, they have a portal that guides them through every step of their process. So that's learning about their guiding clinicians, scheduling their sessions, helping with preparation and integration. And we give them uh, video and written content before and after their sessions, help with preparation and integration and also soundscapes for every session. So for each session, there's a five to 10 minute, um, like inspirational spoken word track to kind of help get you in the right psychological state to have a productive session. And then a, um, like a melodic or ambient audio track that really helps facilitate the experience. Do, do would you say that most people do use those um, those audio tracks or those like audio tracks yeah, yeah, for sure. or like do some people also kind of do their own thing and like pick their own yeah. music or whatever it may be? Yeah, I mean, for yeah, yeah, for the, for those who um, a majority of our clients have no experience with yeah. psychedelics in the past. You know, they're coming to us because they're not getting where they needed to be from traditional treatments like SSRIs or anti-anxiety meds or therapy, um, you know, or are just really interested in you know, the neuroplasticity and like transformational changes that can come from psychedelic medicine. So I think the, it's this whole confusing new care yeah. model where traditionally in medicine, like I'm, you get something from the doctor, you take it and that's kind of the exchange and this it's really a self-driven process. So we really, um, empower and, you know, and put a lot of onus on the client to be an active participant in their healing and growth. Um, but it's very confusing. So we try to make it as streamlined as possible. And so most of our clients are using the content that we give yeah. them. But those that have more, um, those that have more experience with, you know, have had psychedelic yeah. experiences in the past and have tracks they like to use can certainly use those for their sessions. Cool. Yeah. I think that that flexibility is great. And, um, that's super interesting that the majority have not had any experience. And also the idea, you know, moving on to tracking outcomes, something that you have a 
a massive focus on uh, from day one. And I think is the, I would say like the number one issue and problem facing like behavior health more generally is, you know, how do you know if someone's happy? Like it's, it's a very hard thing to measure. Uh, some would say impossible. I would just love to hear you know, more generally how you've looked at outcomes um, from day one and then we can go deeper. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I think the when you're dealing with something that's relatively new in the behavioral health space, like ketamine, like there are a lot of great studies on ketamine, generally like quite small n, small yeah. size. Um, and it's, but there's a lot of like great anecdotal, like providers are really confident in what's going to facilitate like positive benefit using ketamine therapeutically. Um, but we knew if we were building a business to really scale and ultimately with the goal of making psychedelic medicine a household treatment, you know, so how do we, a few years from now, have people consider at-home ketamine therapy or when they're approved MDMA-assisted or psilocybin-assisted yeah. therapies just as they would, you know, traditional therapy or, you know, taking an antidepressant. Um, and so to do that, we, from the beginning, knew that having strong outcomes data would be pivotal, pivotal to making that case yeah. and eventually getting insurance coverage to make this like truly affordable for just about everyone. Yep. And so there are like, while, you know, at a meta standpoint, like understanding what makes someone happy is and how happy you are at any given point in time can be tough. There are industry standard measures that the mental health space uses to gauge like self-reported anxiety or depression symptoms. And so for depression, it's called the PHQ-9. For anxiety, it's the GAD-7. And so we use these system, symptom assessments at the start of treatment. So all of our clients take a baseline assessment and then mid-treatment and then at the end and then after four sessions to give our clinical team updates on how they're trending. And then that's really rich data that we can use to say how well our treatment's working on the whole and outcomes are our number one company metric that we measure. Like, you know, if, if we want one thing to improve over time, what is it? And it's the percentage of people who are getting better from, from using our treatment. And so while antidepressants are like, you know, four out of 10, you know, people will see benefit from antidepressants and that's like 40% efficacious. Uh, our clients after completing four sessions, 88% see clinically significant improvements in depression and 77% see clinically significant improvements in anxiety. Um, we also measure side effects. So with, again, using an antidepressant as a comparison, there's a 50-50 chance you have an unwanted side effect from an antidepressant. 95% of our clients report no side effects um, after, after two sessions. And so we are, you know, you know, imagine if we didn't have this data, it would be so anecdotal on whether this is an effective treatment. And now we can say with, you know, supreme confidence that this is a treatment that is, would be tragic not to make available to more people who are, you know, struggling. Yeah. Uh, that's, those are some incredible numbers there. And um, yeah, impressive to me and hopefully uh, impressive to insurers in the future. I, I was just wondering, like, are you in talks with insurers about, about, um, making that possible at any point soon? Like what's, what level or stage um, of uh, making this more accessible are you at? Uh, so making this more accessible is core to our mission, you know, and that's our telemedicine model is why we've been able to bring down costs, you know, 80%. Um, in terms of increasing accessibility through payers, 
yeah we're in very early stages and so that's a a long process um but right what we're doing now is collecting this internal data and we're also running a clinical study this year um, mm -hmm. and so we have awesome. yeah and so we have some great advisors like the chair and vice chair of psychiatry at houston methodist who are like really passionate about what we're doing and helping us to conduct this clinical study which to our knowledge will be far and away the largest study of psychedelic medicine ever um, awesome. and just by the nature of our like growing business we have a lot of clients who complete these assessments and you know have great data that we can use like anonymized yeah. to to show how well this treatment's working that's really exciting stuff is that study mostly like the uh uh the standardized assessments of uh, anxiety and depression um, or are there other aspects of the uh, study that are maybe a little bit more uh, objective? Because one thing about the standardized studies that um, I find to be a little bit difficult is that it's objective. It's like you're asking the uh, the broken thing to like tell you what's broken. Um, sometimes there's there's a little bit of bias in there. But yeah, I just love to hear a little bit more about the measurements that are that are used in uh, that specific study. Yeah, so we will we'll be using the PHP-9 and GAD-7, and of course, it's hard to pull bias out of a, a self-report measure, you know, and there's so much of like, how are you feeling on a given day? How much of that is the treatment versus something else that's happened? But since these are like industry standard measurements, yeah. we will, you know, at, at least be able to show how effective mind bloom treatment is relative to other studies that have used similar measurements. Yeah. And I mean, the, just the N in the study is incredibly important. Most of the studies out there right now, as you said, just don't have that same, same sort of overarching uh, impact or, or number. And that's also a lot of where like the question marks come from. So I'm glad you're, yeah. you're clearing that up with this study. And so we could have an N of, you know, four or 500, just depending on yeah. how long we want to wait until we write up and, you know, publish. Yeah. Awesome. I was, this is kind of a, little separate area, but um, I was wondering if like in this study and more generally, do you use R-ketamine or, or S-ketamine? And I don't know much about the difference. Um, could you explain a little yeah, bit yeah. about that? We actually use uh, neither. We use um, generic ketamine. And so generic cool. ketamine I didn't is, know that. Yeah. 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 The So generic ketamine is a racemic mixture. So it's two mirror image molecules. The left is S-ketamine and the right is R-ketamine. Okay. And so generic ketamine. So ketamine was FDA approved as an anesthetic in 1970. It's a super safe anesthetic. It doesn't depress. Um, and so an anesthetic is like something you would get for anesthesia during like surgery or some other procedure. Um, and so yeah. it's really safe. It doesn't depress respiration or heart rate like other anesthetics. And so it's listed on the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines. Um, and has been widely used and has an incredible safety record since it was approved in 1970. So that said, it's been around for a long time as generic, so it's also very inexpensive. And so we can use generic ketamine, which we're prescribing off-label. So off-label prescribing means prescribing in a way that's different from the like on-label way that the FDA approved it. So ketamine is yeah. on-label for anesthesia, procedural anesthesia. It's off-label for treating mental health. Um, okay. Off-label prescribing is really common. About one in five prescriptions in the U.S. are written off-label. Um, and it's something that is really helpful because instead of getting 
uh, new super expensive FDA approval for a different indication, like clinicians through their training have the authority to prescribe something off label if there's like sufficient clinical evidence yeah. demonstrating it can be used in that way. So, okay, cool. So, yeah. yeah so, More so, right so, so long story long, um, that, <laughs> so, so we're using the generic molecule because it's very inexpensive and using it off label to treat anxiety and depression. Sweet. Yeah. Makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm sure there's so many more layers to, of complication to that chemistry behind it all. But yeah, that's a great long story long. Um, <laughs> uh, so one topic that Dylan brought up um, in, in our email uh, introducing us was, and that you brought up earlier, is that you've known uh, Dylan for your, your whole life. Um, I think that's bad at his wedding. Yeah, just about. Yeah. Um, and I don't think we've like touched on this topic at all uh, on the podcast, but sort of what it's been like building a company with one of your best friends. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it gets complicated at times. I, I built a takeoff with one of my best friends and, and roommate in, in college. And um, yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting experience. I'd love to hear your, your perspective on it. Yeah, I, I'd love, love to hear your you know, commentary as well. It's been both awesome and like definitely like weird and rocky at times. So, so Dylan is, yeah, one of, one of my lifelong best friends. We've known each other since uh, middle school. And he, this is his third startup. Um, I, my career was in healthcare consulting prior to yeah. Mindbloom. And so we never really thought our careers would cross paths until he was very serendipitously looking for a ex-healthcare consultant to be the head of clinical operations for Mindbloom. Um, and so it was like, we started talking and it was just very clear that this was way too serendipitous for us not to jump at. Um, and yeah, so I think the, like working with your best friend is, is just awesome because, you know, you, you get to work with somebody who you truly love and care about, but then there's definitely like really rocky sides too. Like Dylan is hands down the smartest person I know. So there's never like clash of egos of like who's who's the smartest person in the room and you know who has, who has who has the best idea at a given point in time um but i i really underestimated the startup learning curve yeah so in consulting like every you know three months i'm on a new project figuring out something from scratch uh you know working with a bunch of stakeholders to solve some like super sticky problem that the biggest health systems in the country are facing and I just naively thought that that would be way more transferable than it was. And so I think for yeah. the first maybe year, it was just like very early on, I realized that this wasn't going to be two buddies, like acting as though they were co-founders in a company, like our levels of startup knowledge were just so vastly different that, um, you, you know, it was kind of adjusting to what that work relationship was going to be like. And yeah and so like taking a lot of he's a very like blunt direct person yeah which has been challenging points throughout our entire relationship yeah. <laughs> but then suddenly when i'm the subordinate and he's the boss that like adds a whole new level of of yeah of challenge yeah um and so i think i would say it probably took us about a year to get to like part to to have our work relationship feel more like our personal relationship and just like jive really well. And now like yeah. I, I couldn't imagine it being better, but there were definitely some low points where I was like, hmm, I don't, I don't know if this is gonna work out. <laughs> but, but fortunately yeah. we both stuck it out and 
are really open with each other. And so it's been great. Yeah. How's it? Yeah, it's super interesting. Um, I'd say like my relationship with Michael, um, he's also like smartest person I know, like, like really motivated, driven, smart guy. Um, super motivating for me. I'd say a little bit less blunt than, than Dylan have to like encourage him tell me when something is is wrong or like something needs to happen and he's going on to found his own company now so i th- i hope that i have like motivated him to do that in in his future role and like really not be afraid to hold back and and tell you what's what's going on i lived with him my senior year a fully like same apartment not that big so we we're just around especially during covid just around each other at all times i don't know the idea of I guess is I, I go through it too of not knowing if what you're gonna say is like, you know, gonna start something that's a little bit rocky, as 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 you pointed out, that being up in the air. I, I, I think I learned eventually and I think we both did that it's worth it just to say it and, and work through it. Like like any relationship, you just need to like care for it and um really spend time on it and, and talk through it and like have hard conversations because in the end worth it yeah we as a company definitely embrace the radical candor framework of you know challenge directly care personally and yeah as as long if you you know if you buy into that as a relationship or as a company and can kind of set your ego aside it's yeah it's such a powerful framework and helps you kind of skip all of the unproductive like like posturing and just kind of get to the point yeah yeah i watched i listened to this podcast with like it was like Connor Sullivan is on is like the founder of Rome Research, and he like a good quote was like, "I love you, I love you, but like you're fucking up, like you're, <laughs> you're fucking up." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's like, like the oh sorry, god. No, nah, you got it, you got it. I was just gonna say, and that's like the like part of this whole model is you have to establish psychological safety before you can challenge yeah. directly. Um, yeah. And so yeah, so like I love you, I love you, you're fucking up is is a perfect. <laughs> Yeah, I really like that. That that really stuck with me. (laughs) And I don't even think it was the context. No, it actually was the context of of his company, but it was also referring just generally with your your friends and, you know, just any relationship that you have in your life, which I I also agree with. Um, But yeah, you spoke a little bit about like the, what it's like to work at uh, Mindbloom um, and you're recently voted, uh, you know, 50 best places to work remotely. As you said earlier, you're completely remote. Um, something that I am, you know, super passionate about. I personally like work more effectively um, at home in my own space and like with freedom in in that regard uh, and something that I value a lot. Um, And you mentioned you did have the headquarters, not headquarters, like clinical space. I forgot the exact word for it. Um, Have you been remote since day one? Has there ever been like a WeWork or office space or do you have some sort of WeWork office space that you rent out occasionally? Um, yeah, has, has that remote work thing ever changed in the timeline of Mindbloom? We've been remote from day one. Like when we were in, when there was a handful of us in Manhattan, we had like a no-tell and a spacious, these like, you know, we work as yeah. types of places that we would meet up at periodically. Um, but it's from the start has been like, we, we try to emulate a lot of the Netflix, um, like cultural norms, like ev- like everybody who joins Mindbloom reads No Rules, No Rules, Rules. It's just this incredible culture book um, from Netflix. But so it's we encourage people to do whatever you know is in Mindbloom's best interest. And so if 
having a local, you know, um, co-working space is how somebody works best, then Mindly will pay for that. Or if yeah. you, know, you want to build out like a awesome workstation at home and that's how you're going to be most productive, then Mindly will pay for that. Or if there's, you know, a meeting and we happen to be co-located in the same place and need to rent space, we can do that. So that's yeah. also, we have the, uh, the freedom to do that. Um, but we don't have any standing shared space um, anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. Yeah. And like what, what advantages, I guess, personally is probably the best way for you to speak about it. Um, do you see from working remotely? Yeah, I, th I think it really helps. So we're big proponents of deep work, you know, and you can, mm -hmm. an another one of my favorite uh, business books are just personal productivity books. Um, but if you, yeah, it's just, it's really hard to context switch throughout the day. And when you're in an office, it's so easy to go to someone's desk or have someone come to your desk. Um, and so it, it can be pretty disruptive and get in the way of getting into like a great flow state where you're being optimally productive. And so yeah. we, we have a culture of like, not only are you not required to, but it's like discouraged to be you know, super attentive to your instant messenger or email. It's like carve out time and be structured in the way that you work. And so I remember when I, you know, was a consultant and like the team consulting room was a place where you do a lot of like sharing of ideas, but productivity was generally quite low. And I did most of like the heavy lifting in terms of project work, either while I was traveling yeah. or in my hotel room, you know, after the work day which is tough, yeah. you, you lose a lot of time. And so, especially with a startup where there's an infinite number of things to work on, it's been really, really nice to have that productive time and also being really intentional about how I'm using other people's times as well. Yeah, and another aspect of that, I think that's all really, really well said is like, um, at least for me, at least is taking care of your own mental health in, in the process of remote work. I find yeah. it a little bit easier to do so. Um, a question that I like to ask all my guess is like, how, how do you take care of your, your own mental health on a daily or, or monthly basis? Um, and yeah, any advice there? Yeah. I mean, that's, I think what's cool about working at Mindbloom is we're really open about our mental health. So we can be, like comfortably be this, you know, company of misfit toys who can share stories and how we like the practices that we all have. And, you know, it's, it's different for everybody. I think there, there are a lot of trends for me personally, like, consistent exercise is is really important so if i go a few days without exercising um, i can definitely like feel stress start to creep in um having protected time for like my partner my friends um is, is really important um and then i'm also a like i've you know i've struggled with anxiety at, at points throughout my life and having like i'm, I'm a mind bloom client myself so building a company that's you know, not only helps helps others at those, you know, incredible rate of outcomes that I, that I mentioned before, but also something that really helps helps me to, you know, address like concerns that are giving me stress or anxiety. It just, it really feels like, like therapy on steroids to me. And so yeah. that's been really helpful for prioritizing and staying big picture focused and kind of letting the little things slide away. Yeah. I mean, what an amazing opportunity to work on a product that you love to consume yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah. And my, I, I mentioned this before we started recording, but yeah. And my, um, my, my wife has seen amazing results with mind bloom, my mom and her boyfriend, 
uh, were my main clients once still is. And so it's, it's been so cool to see this company help like both me and the people I love as well. Yeah. Mom, if you're listening, <laughs> I'm sure you'll see, uh, to see great results from mine. Love it. Yeah. And last question. Um, I was wondering, you know, what, you, you spoke a lot about the values at Mindbloom, what you see in employees or what you look for in employees, what the culture at Mindbloom is like. Is there anything else specific that you look for in employees? And also, I guess, in the industry more generally, what do you think is needed or uh, is wanted from people uh, working uh, in the more general mental health space? Yeah, so I think those are I, like two different questions. So first, yeah. the kind of mind bloom, what do we look for? So, I mean, culture, culture, culture is first, second, and third. Um, building, a, building a company in an innovative space like this, we think it's just so important to be you know, diverse and backgrounds and way of thinking, but really homogenous in our core values. And so we recruit every job scorecard has our core values of practicing intellectual honesty, making exceptional decisions, creating transformational outcomes and championing our clients. And so we look for people who kind of embody those same values in, in the way we work. Um, I think in the field more generally, like it's, I, I think it's uh, very noble to uh, you know, like the physician credo of do no harm is so important. Um, but sometimes it seems that we're not being innovative enough in the space. And so when we see that things like therapy and antidepressants have been around forever and we lack, it seems we lack the innovation in mental health care, like we have in, you know, surgery where you're now operated on by a robot. And there's just such a discrepancy in the level of innovation. And so I think people who kind of take a better, like assess risk in a way where we can yeah. you know, run small experiments that aren't putting, that putting like anyone's lives or well-being in danger, but allowing us to learn more instead of being so resistant to things like psychedelics and ketamine that we've known how effective they've been for over half a century. And now we're just starting to reuse them again and think of the lives that were lost over the past 50 years because we as a culture decided not to take advantage of the potential therapeutic properties of these medications like it's just really hard to argue that you know suicide being a top cause of death is like what we've endured is worth the potential downside of increasing access to these medications yeah i couldn't agree with you more there and i great way to round out the podcast. Um, thank you so much, Jack, for, for coming on and taking the time. And I look forward to see what you do next up with Mindbloom. Yeah, thanks, Lucas.